0: Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: Do you remember this from a few years ago? On September 6, 2018, Amber Geyer, at the time a Dallas police officer, entered the home of 26-year-old Botham Jean and shot and killed him, saying that she believed that she was in her own apartment and that he was an intruder. In 2019, she was convicted of his murder, and at her sentencing, something happened that captivated the whole country. Botham's brother Brant forgave her. He said, "I forgive you. And I know that if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I love you as a person, and I want what's best for you." And then he asked if you could give her a hug. And if you remember, he gets down from the stand, and as they share a long embrace, the courtroom falls completely silent except for the sounds of sobbing. It was an incredibly powerful moment. Our passage for today is a similar story. It's the prayer of a murderer who repents before God. And in this passage, we see something astounding. We see that not only does God forgive this murderer. He reaches down to the very depths of the problem in his soul and restores this sinner to life. So here's what we're going to see today. As beautiful and as compelling as the story of Brant and Amber is, you and I are invited into an even greater story, a story that has captivated people for thousands of years. And here's what we'll see. This is the main point of this psalm. God restores sinners to worship him. So let's dig into it. I said that this was the prayer of a murderer. We know that from the superscript of the psalm. Take a look. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. You may remember the story of David and Bathsheba. Pastor Aaron actually preached on it uh, sometime last year. But let me just quickly summarize it for us here because it helps us understand just how far God goes to restore sinners like you and me. So here's what happened. David was the king of Israel, and he saw this woman Bathsheba, and he wanted her. And so he tells his servants to find out who this person is. And even though his servants tell him that she's married, David still sleeps with her. And it happens that she gets pregnant. But instead of owning up to his sin, David tries to hide it. And so the first thing he does is he tries to get Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to come home from battle and to sleep with his wife so that no one will know that this child is David's. And when that doesn't work, David goes so far as to have Uriah killed in battle and then takes Bathsheba as his wife. But even then, David didn't repent. It wasn't until the prophet Nathan confronted him that he finally confesses and repents of his sin. And this psalm is David's prayer of repentance, his confession of sin. And it's interesting how, or it's significant how this uh, prayer begins. Take a look at verse 1. It begins with a plea. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Has anyone here ever been to a service at an Eastern Orthodox church? Anyone? No one? That's all right. Well, if you ever visit one for some reason someday, I think I've only maybe been once but you'll be struck by this phrase that you'll repeat over and over throughout the service. Over and over again, you'll say, Lord, have mercy. And the reason why is because that's our fundamental posture before God. As sinners before a holy God, we have no claim to anything good from him. We deserve nothing but his judgment. And so all we can say is, Lord, Have mercy. David understood that. He knew that he had sinned horribly against God. And so he begins his prayer with this plea. But there's something interesting here. Because at the same time, we do have a certain claim to God. David prays, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That second part is covenantal language. David has confidence in his plea because he knows that God has promised steadfast love to his people. So on the one hand, we have no claim to anything good from God. All we can pray is, Lord, have mercy. But on the other hand, God has obligated himself to his people. He has promised us steadfast love. And so we pray, Lord, have mercy according to your steadfast love. This is fundamental to this prayer and fundamental to our entire relationship with God. Here's what we see in this verse. We see that because God has promised to show steadfast love to his people, we can come boldly before him and plead for his mercy. Not because we deserve it, but because God has promised it. And so this prayer begins, Lord, have mercy upon me according to your steadfast love. The next part of this prayer is a confession in verses 3 through 6. And there are three things I want you to notice about it. The first is David's posture. Have you ever experienced a half-hearted apology? You know, Maybe something like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Or maybe an apology that tries to shift the blame to the other person. You know, Something like, I'm sorry, but you dot, dot, dot. Have you ever given one of those apologies? I you know I have. There's none of that in David's posture. Look at this posture in verse 3. He says... I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You can tell that he's intimately aware of his sin. He's not trying to ignore it or to make light of it. He's deeply troubled by it. And he's not defensive either. He doesn't try to blame someone else for what happened. He says in the second part of verse 4 that God's judgment is right. He knows his sin. He's grieved by it, and he casts himself on God's mercy. That's the posture of a true confession. When we confess our sins to God, we must first examine our hearts to know our sin. And sometimes, like for David here, it takes being confronted by the word of God through someone else in order for us to be truly grieved by our sin. The posture of Of a true confession is to know and be grieved by our sin. The second thing I want you to notice about David's confession is from the first part of verse four. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. That's interesting, don't you think? I mean, if you murdered someone, would the first thing you think be against God and God only? Have I sinned? How can David say that? He says that because he knows that fundamentally all sin is against God. Now, it's not to say that we don't sin against others. We do. But when we sin against others, it's sin first and foremost because it goes against what God has commanded. So David committing adultery with Bathsheba is sin because God said, do not commit adultery. David having Uriah killed is sin because God said, do not murder. David isn't denying that he sinned against others. He's recognizing that fundamentally all sin is against God. Brant Jean understood this too. He's here with Amber who literally murdered his brother. But from whom does he tell her to seek forgiveness? He said to her, If you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. When we sin, fundamentally, we sin against God. The third thing I want you to see about David's confession is in verse 5. Take a look. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David confesses that the depths of his sin are even greater than his sin with Bathsheba. He has a much deeper problem. The problem extends all the way back to his conception. He was born a sinner. Maybe you've heard this before. This is a helpful way to understand this. We're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. The problem of our sin goes far deeper than any particular sin. The problem is that we're born with a sinful nature. This is what theologians call total depravity. And it's good to confess this before God. It's good to confess not only our particular sins, which we should, but also our sinfulness. We have a sinful nature that needs to be forgiven and restored. So here's where we're at in this psalm. We saw already the plea, Lord have mercy. And then we just looked at the confession and we saw three things. First, we saw the posture of a true confession. To know and be grieved by our sin. Second, we saw that sin is fundamentally against God. And third, we see that our problem goes much deeper than even our worst sins. The problem is that we are born with a sinful nature. The next part of this uh, prayer is the request in verses seven through 12. How many of you in the past couple years had to isolate because of COVID? I finally had to uh, about six weeks ago. And thankfully for me, it wasn't too bad. But for some of you, especially if you got sick early on in the pandemic. It was a horrible experience. Some of you were very sick, maybe wondering if this could be the end. And all the while, you were isolated from those you love. If you experience that, then you have a little bit of an idea of what David refers to here in verse 7. He says, Purge me with the hyssop, and I shall be clean. This language comes from the laws for cleansing lepers in Leviticus 14. In David's time, when someone got leprosy, they were declared unclean. And the laws about uncleanness were actually pretty similar to what we still do today for quarantine. See if this sounds familiar. If you had leprosy, you had to live outside the camp for at least 14 days until you were free of leprosy. And this is how they social distanced. When someone came near to you, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. It would have been an awful experience. But if you were healed from your disease, this is what the priest would do. He would sacrifice a bird, dip some hyssop, just like David said, dip some into the blood of the bird and sprinkle the blood on you seven times. And after that, he would declare you clean. Clean. And imagine the relief you'd feel. I mean, you had been in isolation, suffering and fighting this horrible disease, not knowing whether or not you would make it out alive, but now you're healed, declared clean, and you can return to your family and friends. David knew that our sin is like that. Like leprosy, our sin is a disease that brings horrible suffering and separates us from God and from others. But just like the priest could pronounce him clean, David knew that God could pronounce him clean from his sin. And so he says, purge me with the hyssop, and I shall be clean. That's God's promise to you in this verse. No one is beyond the reach Of God's grace. Even David, who sinned against Bathsheba and literally had people killed in order to try to cover it up, even David could be declared clean. And so can you. And here's how. One of the things that we learn from these laws about leprosy is that to be made clean requires death and blood. A bird had to die in order for the healed person to be declared clean. And we see the same thing in David's life, too. If you know the story of David and Bathsheba, you might remember that uh, God takes the life of the son he had with Bathsheba. David's son dies because of his sin. But that death was a foreshadowing of the death of another son of David. When 1,000 years later, God sent his only son, to die the death that we deserve for our sin. When we sin against God, we deserve to be isolated from his presence and to die in our sin. But because Jesus took our place, because he was forsaken by God, and because he shed his blood for us, we can be declared clean and reunited with him. David prayed these words in faith, looking forward to the day when God would send his Messiah to deal with sin in a way that a sacrificial bird never could. And we now pray these words looking back in faith as we see that Messiah whose blood makes us clean. And because of that, no matter what you've done, you can be declared clean. Maybe God is putting something on your heart right now. Confess that to him. And let yourself feel the deep relief of his forgiveness and acceptance. Purge me with the hyssop, and I shall be clean. And as incredible as that promise is, there's more. Look at what David requests in the second part, or in, uh, in verse 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Not only does God cleanse us from our sin, but he gives us a clean heart. Like a leper healed completely of his disease, so God goes to the very root of the problem. He cleanses our sinful hearts. He sends His Spirit to transform our hearts so that more and more, instead of desiring to sin, we delight to obey Him. He does what only God can do. He creates in us a new, clean And so we see here the first part of the main point of this psalm. The first part is that God restores sinners. He forgives all of our sin, and he gives us a new heart. Now, before we go on to the next section, let me just quickly explain verse 11, because it can be a bit confusing. Look at what David says. He says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, so does that mean that if we sin against God, we're at risk of God taking his Spirit from us? David probably has in mind here when God did take his Holy Spirit from Saul, the king of Israel before David. But we know from other passages in the Bible that God will never take his Spirit from those who truly repent. That wasn't the case with Saul. Saul didn't know and grieve his sin in the way that we see in this psalm. But if you truly repent, however imperfectly, God will never take his Holy Spirit from you. But it can feel like he would, can't it? When you've sinned against God again, it can feel like, surely this is the last straw. Surely I've reached the end of God's patience. They can feel that way because that's exactly what we deserve. So this verse is David's expression of that feeling. But what David looked forward to and what we now can look back on is Jesus Christ, who was forsaken by God that we may never be. And because of that, we can pray this prayer with confidence that God will answer. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So here's where we're at. The prayer starts with a plea. Lord, have mercy. Then is the confession. I know my transgression. Next is the request. Create in me a clean heart. And now we see the response in verses 13 through 17. God has shown us tremendous mercy. How should we respond? That's what this next section is about. Why is it that all the news outlets picked up the story of Brant forgiving Amber? At least in part, it's because a story of such radical forgiveness begs to be told. It's so captivating that we can't help but share it with others. We see something similar in this section. When David experiences God's forgiveness and restoration, he can't keep it in. Take a look at verses 13 through 15. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. When David experiences the grace of God, forgiving even his most heinous sins, and reaching down to the very depths of the problem in his soul, He can't help but respond by praising God and declaring his goodness to others. And when we come to understand that God has done the same thing for us, we can't help but respond in the same way. And so we see here the second part of the main point of this psalm. The first part is that God restores sinners. The second part tells us to what end. God restores sinners to what end? To worship him. As compelling as the story of Brant forgiving Amber is, you and I have an even more compelling story. There's a reason why for generations people continue to be captivated by the story of Christianity. There's no greater story of forgiveness and restoration. Like Amber and like David, our sin cost someone their life, but in our case, it was the very Son of God who willingly died for our sin. The very one whom we sinned against himself died the death that we deserve that he might restore us to himself. And when we come to understand just how far God has gone to restore us, the natural response is worship. The natural response is for our hearts to overflow with praise. That's why after our prayer of confession and assurance of pardon and service, that's why we responded with song. We can't keep it in. Our hearts Burst forth in praise. Oh God, deliver me and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. And when we come to understand just how far God has gone, we also can't help but share that good news with others. It's a story that begs to be told. How can you share that good news this week? Who knows? Maybe, like David prays, God will use you to make sinners return to Him. So, here's what we've seen so far. Here's how God restores sinners. Look at how far He goes. He not only forgives all our sin, He also creates in us a clean heart. He goes to the very root of the problem and restores our hearts. And he not only creates in us a clean heart, he also opens our mouth to declare his praise. God restores sinners to worship him. And he doesn't just restore us individually, That restoration then spills over into our relationships with others. As we declare to them the wonderful goodness of God, God uses that to restore sinners to himself. But it doesn't even stop there. In the final part of the psalm, we see that God's restoration isn't complete until all his people flourish and worship him. Look at how David ends this prayer in verses 18 through 19. It says, Do good to Zion. Zion here being the synecdoche for all of God's people. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. That is, so they may dwell in safety from their enemies. Then will you delight in right sacrifices. That is, then will you delight in right worship. So here's what we see. Having experienced God's restoration personally and having declared it to God and to others, David now ends his prayer with the request that God would do good to all his people, that they might worship him purely. In David's day, that worship was bringing to God a sacrifice in faith that one day he would send his Messiah to deal with sin in a final way. But you and I now have the wonderful privilege of looking back on that perfect sacrifice. We're going to do that together in a few moments when we partake in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is both a remembrance of how far God has gone to restore sinners like you and me And it's also an act of worship as we partake in his body and blood by faith. But what we do here today is still only the beginning of what is to come. There is a day coming when all God's people from every tongue, tribe, and generation will gather together in the heavenly Jerusalem, with hearts so completely transformed that we will no longer even be capable of sinning. In that day, we will dwell in peace and security for all that our sin has broken will be restored. And together, forgiven and restored, we will worship God with pure hearts. That's the restoration in store for God's people. God restores sinners like David and like you and me that we might worship Him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the forgiveness and restoration you bring us through your Son. Help us to look to him in faith, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might create in us clean hearts to worship you. We ask that you do this not only for us, but also for all your people near and far. And God, direct our gaze to look forward to the day when you will finish the restoration that you have begun. And we will worship you with pure hearts. Do this for the sake of your name, we ask. Amen.